cross. If you would please turn with me to the book of John in the 8th chapter, John chapter number 8, a familiar passage in the Bible to most. You know, the book of John is one of my favorite books in all of the Bible. I thank the Lord for all of the Bible. I, I enjoy each January trying to get through the book of Genesis. I love reading stories in Genesis, the stories of Joseph, uh, the story of creation, the story of the flood. Uh, certain books capture my attention more than others in the Bible. And the book of John is filled with stories that I can relate to. I can relate to the stories that I read about there. I, I love the way the book starts. It tells me who the Lord Jesus was. And when it gets into his ministry, it begins to give me a peek into how the Lord Jesus thought and how he responded to certain things in his life. In John chapter 8, we'll begin our reading in verse number 3, and we'll read down through verse number 11. The scripture says, And the scribes and Pharisees brought unto him a woman taken in adultery. And when they had set her in the midst, they say unto him, Master, this woman was taken in adultery in the very act. Now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned. But what sayest thou? Now here we speak of the motivation, the scripture speaks of the motivation behind the Pharisees bringing this woman to the Lord. This they said, tempting him, that they might have to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down, and with his finger wrote on the ground, as though he heard them not. So when they continued asking him, he lifted up himself and said unto them, he that is without sin among you, let him first cast a stone at her. And he stooped on the ground, or and he stooped down and wrote on the ground. And they which heard it, being convicted by their own conscience, went out one by one, beginning at the eldest, even unto the last. And Jesus was left alone, and the woman standing in the midst. When Jesus had lifted up himself and saw none but the woman, he said unto her, Woman, where are thine accusers? Hath no man condemned thee? She said, No man, Lord. And Jesus said unto her, Neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. We're going to be considering this topic this morning. Jesus, what a friend of sinners. Our Father in heaven, we come in your presence this morning. Thank you, Lord, for those who've gathered in this place. Lord, we have a good crowd here today at Metropolitan Baptist. For that, we give you our thanks. I thank you for the visitors who've come. I pray, Lord, for all those who are, are under the sound of my voice today, that you would do a work in hearts today that only you can do. Lord, I know before me there are people who are saved, people who have been forgiven of their sin, people who know you as their Savior. And Lord, when we read passages like this, we certainly can rejoice that we have a relationship with you, a friend of sinners. But Lord, also sitting before me today, no doubt, are people who've never been saved by the grace of the Lord. They may not know the scripture. They may not understand the issues of salvation. Or Lord, they may have learned something they shouldn't have by someone who taught differently about passages or about the scripture. I don't know what... Uh, who people are today and what their spiritual situations, Lord, are. But one thing I know, Lord, is that you do. Lord, there's nothing hidden from you. They're, they're, we're all open before you. Lord, you know all of our hearts. You, know our, you understand our thoughts. You know our words before we even speak them. And Lord, we're in awe of you this morning, a true and living God. Lord, I pray with all my heart that you do a work in the hearts of people this morning. I pray and I ask these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. As we think about this Jesus, a friend of sinners, we think that there were people in this story who certainly weren't friend, a friend of sinners. They were sinners, but they thought they were different from other people. They were the people who were known in verse number three as the scribes and the Pharisees. If you take your Bible back to the book of Luke in the 15th chapter, I want to point something out here. Perhaps you've been point, this has been pointed out to you before. You know, Jesus told the story in Luke chapter. 15. It was a fictional story. It was a parable. It was an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. He told the story of the prodigal son. 
But the same people who are now here in the book of John accusing this woman were found in this passage of Scripture. In Luke chapter 15, the Bible says in verse 1, Then drew near unto him all the publicans and sinners for to hear him. The publican was a tax collector. He was a common sinner working for the Roman government. And the Bible talks about the sinner. Publicans and sinners would speak of the common man. When I used to go to the and preach in between services. I was preaching to the common sinner, someone who committed common crimes in that town. It was, it was kind of like the, the man who lived next door. But next you, saw, you see in verse number two, and the Pharisees and scribes murmured. They were murmuring against the Lord. This is what the Pharisees and the scribes were known for. They were known for their murmuring. They were known for their fault finding. They were known for the fact that they rejected the Lord Jesus Christ. They were religious. But they were lost. These folks weren't friends to sinners. They hated sinners. Now, my friends, I just want to tell you today, if you read through this story and you don't come away with the fact that Jesus loved sinners and cared for sinners, you're missing the point. Jesus came to this earth to save sinners. This accusing act was taking place here where the Pharisees, according to verse number 6, their purpose for doing this was tempting the Lord, but they were using this woman as a pawn, if you will. The scribes and Pharisees entered into many disputes with Jesus. Rarely do you find Jesus arguing or disputing with the common man. Rarely do you find Jesus, uh, a common sinner or a common publican, trying to trick the Lord Jesus Christ. But you see the Pharisees and the scribes doing this all the time. As we like to say, they chased Jesus around the Judean countryside, trying to trip him up with everything that they could throw at him. It was a demonic effort. It was a devilish effort. It came straight from the devil. But my friend, Jesus Christ isn't to be tricked. He can't be tricked. How can you trick someone who knows everything? How can you trick someone who knows your agenda? You can't. The Bible says that the eyes of the Lord are in every place, beholding the evil and the good. In Psalm 139, the Bible says that the Lord knows everything about us. As we prayed this morning, I pray to the true and living God who knows every thought of your heart. He knows every place that you've been. You may not have told your mama. You may not have told your dad. You may not have told everybody what the the intent and the thoughts of your heart are, but Jesus knows them. He knows them all together. He knows you top to bottom, side to side. He knows your pedigree. He knows where you came from. He knows that your flesh, this accusing act was done by these scribes and Pharisees who had chased the Lord down, accusing to trick him. At the heart of the matter, the Pharisees and scribed, scribes hated Jesus. No matter what he said, no matter what he did, they weren't going to receive him. He could, he could call a dead man out of a grave and they weren't going to believe him. He could spit on the ground and apply it to the eyes of a a blind man, and the blind man receive his sight, and the Pharisees wouldn't believe him. He could go into the place of worship and see a man with a withered hand on, on the Sabbath day, and he in their very presence, where a man who formerly had a withered hand had a whole hand. You ever, you ever seen somebody that had a withered hand? I knew a man once who was at a church and he had a, he had a withered hand. There was something that took place in his arm that damaged a nerve. He couldn't button the buttons on his shirt. He couldn't, he couldn't fasten his pants. He needed to wear kind of a, a elastic type pants. He, he couldn't tie his shoes. I was actually in church the day that 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 man's wife went on to be with the Lord. For whatever reason, the Lord called his wife home before he called him home. My heart went out to him because he'd lost his helper. She was putting her makeup on before she went to church on a Wednesday night, and she had a massive heart attack, and the doctors say that she went home to be with the Lord before she even hit the floor. What a way to go out, amen? Putting on your makeup, ladies, that's a good way to go. No suffering, no crying. You're just about to apply something to your eyelashes to make your eyes look so beautiful and sweet. You got done curling your hair, and you're on ready to meet Jesus. Aren't you thankful for that? I, I remember going to her funeral and seeing his, his name was Brother Carter. Whenever I would see him, I would think of that story in the scripture where Jesus healed that man with a withered hand, and the Pharisees and scribes said, you, ca- you did that by the spirit of the devil. Nobody would do this on the Lord's day, and Jesus said, it's lawful to do good things on the Lord's day. 
You know, they weren't going to receive Jesus no matter what he said. So this accusing act, when we think about this, this woman was, they claimed that she was taken in the very act of adultery. This is without doubt an arranged situation. We'll have more to say about this later on in the service. And I, I will do my best to be careful, even in this generation, from speaking too plainly from the pulpit. But the issue of adultery is mentioned in in the Ten Commandments, the Bible says, Thou shalt not commit adultery. This, of course, is dealing with sexual sin. They did this to accuser. It's amazing to me that they didn't bring the other party in the matter. This is, uh, you know, this, 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 the very sin is a two-person uh, affair, if you will. Where's the man in this situation? The Pharisees didn't think to bring him. Because no doubt they arranged this situation, and conveniently, they only brought the woman to the Lord. When I see in my sanctified imagination this woman, a sinner, being basically thrown down on the ground as someone who is worthless, as someone who is helpless, as someone who is hated. You ever seen somebody who was set in the midst of people who were stronger than them and you felt very sorry for them because they were being brutalized, they were being used, they were being abused? Joseph's brothers did something like that to him. And I'm just here to tell you in a group this size, there are no doubt many people or some people who think that acts like this are no big deal. But I want to tell you, when you abuse somebody else like this, when you take advantage of somebody else like this, you got a day coming. The Lord's eyes are watching you. You may sit down to eat bread like Joseph's brothers, but judgment day is coming. There's coming a day when the Lord's going to make some things right. You better be careful how you treat people who commit sin. You better be careful how you think about people that commit sin. This woman was a common sinner. She was outnumbered. She no doubt had shame and guilt all over and was set in the midst of a people who were only using her to achieve their agenda. And that's the way many people look at other people in this life. They want to use them for as much as they... They won't love people for who they are. You're only good to them so long as they can use you. That's how this, this woman was treated. But I want to tell you this today, friend. Jesus doesn't use people. Jesus saves. Jesus will use you in your life, but not in the sense that the Pharisees were using this woman. He'll make you whole again. The Lord has a way to put joy in your heart. I'm going to tell you something. This woman probably never knew a man that didn't have any expectations of her before she met the Lord Jesus Christ. But she met the Lord Jesus Christ, and Jesus wasn't thinking, use her. Jesus was thinking, how can I save her? The accusers called Jesus master in this passage. But Christ is not their master. You may call Jesus master and Lord. Don't call the Lord master unless you're doing the things that he says. And of course, all of us need help with following the Lord more, more closely. But these, the, these words coming from a Pharisee's mouth were so dis disingenuous. These people were such hypocrites. They inwardly hated the Lord Jesus Christ, but yet when they came to him, they called him master. It's an amazing thing how sinful men think they're going to pull one over on, on Almighty God. The accusers quote the Old Testament, but the writer of the Old Testament has a different viewpoint. You know that Jesus wrote the Bible, don't you? The Bible says this in John chapter number 1. If you flip your Bible back there very quickly, John chapter number 1. Now, you have come this morning to a Baptist church, and we sang songs today like, He is Lord. He is Lord. He is risen from the dead, and He is Lord. And speaking of Jesus Christ... The Bible says, every knee shall bow, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. That comes straight from the Scriptures. You might have people that wear white shirts and wear a tie come and knock on your door sometime. And they don't believe that Jesus Christ is Lord. They call Jesus like a male boy for Jehovah. And you'll see people, even now, they're at the airport, and they're trying to get people to take their Watchtower magazine. I want to tell you something. Jehovah's Witnesses is a cult. It's a cult religion. And they believe that Jesus was a created being. But John chapter 1 says something very different. Jesus is not a created being. Now, I don't say that with any hate in my heart for Jehovah's Witnesses, only to expose the fact that they don't believe that Jesus Christ is Lord, and they don't believe that anyone will bow for the name of Jesus Christ. But I'm going to bow to Jesus Christ in 
this life, and I'm going to bow to them in the next. And by the way, so will they, and so will you. Because when the Bible says every knee, it means exactly what it says. Every knee shall bow to the glory of God the Father. God has given Jesus a name that's above every name. That includes Jehovah. Jesus' name is above every name. And at his name, every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. In John chapter number one, the Bible says, in the beginning was the word, speaking of Jesus Christ, the word logos, and the word was with God and the word was God. Jesus Christ is God. He is equal with God. He performed a different function than God. He is equal with God. Jesus Christ is God. I hope you can recognize that when Jesus Christ was born, his existence in Bethlehem, that wasn't when he started. He was existed in in eternity past. The Bible says the same was in the beginning with God. Jesus was in the beginning with God. Notice in verse 3, who made everything? All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. This is all speaking of Jesus Christ. Later in the passage, it talks about John the Baptist being sent from God. He was the light, but Jesus was the light. The Bible says later in this passage that grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ was in the beginning. He was God manifested in the flesh, and he came to save your soul, friend. And so as we go back to we know that Jesus, the leader of the Old Testament, sees that these, these men, these scribes and Pharisees, are trying to use the Old Testament in such a way as to have their own agenda with this woman. Now the Bible says that Christ responded in a certain way. The Bible says in verse number 6, first, that Jesus stooped down and with his finger wrote on the ground. He, he was, the, as the Bible is presenting Christ to us, he's ignoring what, they, what these Pharisees and scribes had said to him, and he began to write on the ground. I want to say, first of all, that Christ's stooping down is an act of humility and his identification with fallen man. Anytime I think of Christ humbling himself or getting down, you know, when I get down on my knees, often on Sunday mornings, and I I don't want to draw attention to myself, but I enjoy to pray. I do. I enjoy talking to the Lord. He knows all about me. He knows my faults, my failures. He knows sometimes the messy things that I can be involved in in my life, how that things in life, they don't always work out the way I want. God knows everything about me. And sometimes it helps me to get on my knees before the Lord. Now, I know that some of you, you've reached an age where if you get down, you may not be able to get back up. And I understand. (laughs) What I'm saying is I don't judge people for not getting on their knees. But when I try to pray to the Lord, I get on my knees. But Jesus didn't need to get on his knees for anything. But he did. He stooped down. He got right down on our level. He got down and even put his hands on this, on this piece of clay, on, on the dirt. You know, Jesus was weary and tired on his journey. You know that Jesus didn't have to deal with all this. Jesus came down here and allowed sinful men to brutalize him because he had something to do for us. I thank God for the humility of Jesus identifying with falling man. Thank God for his condescension. Condescension. What, con- what condescension? How that the Lord came down and made himself known for us. I never want to get over the fact when I come into church on Sunday that Jesus condescended and made himself known to me. Who am I? I was born to a two-parent home. I didn't deserve that. I know many people who weren't born to a very good home at all. But I had religious parents. Not only were they religious, but they believed the Bible. They taught me the Bible. They took me to church every time the doors were open. As I told you, I I go to the jails. I was talking to the common man. It wasn't wasn't very many services in the jail where I met anybody who grew up in a two-parent home. Many of the men that I met in jail didn't even know who their father was. Well, who am I that God would put me in a home like that? Never heard my dad utter, utter a curse word. Had my dad setting, for the most part, a good example before me. Not a perfect man, but a godly man. 
Who am I that the Lord would pluck me out of the world and allow me to get the message of the truth? Uh, we had a preacher come up to, to Warren, Michigan by the name of O.J. Hugel. He loved us. He loved that church. He was from Kentucky. He didn't believe that. He didn't believe in a territorial gospel. <laughs> I, remember, I remember when I was called to my first church and uh, the pulpit committee was giving me some questions and they, they, the, one of the questions was, are you a territorial preacher? I said, what, you, what do you mean by that? I, I'd never heard that question before. There was a lot of questions given to me by the pulpit committee that I'd never been asked before. Go figure. <laughs> no, but he said, uh, did God only call you to preach to people in Michigan? I said, well, I said, no, sir, God will save anybody. Get, get, and, and I'm thankful that this, this man from Kentucky, O.J. Hugel, he chose to go up into the land where they called us Yankees up there. And he came up there and he preached the gospel in my home church. I'm thankful for that. Who am I that I would have a preacher preach to me? He, he left that church by the time I was about four years old. And then come walking a man named Paul McWhorter who's preached in this church. And I was able, I fell under the conviction of the Holy Spirit of God. When I, when I think about these things, about the Lord saving my soul, I never want to forget the fact that Jesus condescended to me. And I don't know if you're lost today. If you're lost today, Jesus wants to save you too. He will condescend himself to you. He will make himself known to you. He is willing to save you, just as he was willing to save this person. Yes, Jesus was tempted in all points like we were, yet he was without sin. We get to this point, and it's very interesting to me. I always, I enjoy trying to meditate on this scripture. I, I want to see what happened with Jesus. They throw this woman down in the midst, and she's got no defense for herself, and she's surrounded and outnumbered. She's helpless with guilt and shame, and the Lord gets down, and he starts writing on the ground. Many people for all time have wondered as to what he wrote. The truth is, I don't know what he wrote, but I'd like to think in my sanctified imagination that he was writing those things that those men around him who violently took that woman and threw her down in front of him, that he was writing things that they themselves were guilty of. Maybe he was writing it upside down to where they could read everything he was writing. And maybe as they started thinking about the things he was writing, they began to become very guilty. I don't know exactly what Jesus was writing, but all I know is what there was a totally different outcome than what they were expecting. You see, they put Jesus in a situation where if he was pronounced death upon this woman he would have been as harsh and then if he didn't they were trying to put him in a position where you don't believe the Bible do you so Jesus in their mind was in a no win situation and no matter what he said he wasn't going to come so you know what he did he didn't do anything he didn't say anything some of us can learn from Jesus <laughs> but Jesus started writing on the ground it's hard to accuse someone of moral sin when you yourself are guilty of moral sin. They had taken her of what they say is in the act of adultery. Now, when Christ begins to write on the ground, the Bible says in this passage of Scripture, it says, so when they continued asking him, he lifted himself up unto them and said unto them, it says he lifted himself up and said unto them, he that is without sin among you, let him first cast a stone at her. He said, go ahead. Let's start with the person that's without sin. Go ahead and pick that stone up. Throw it at her. Amazingly, there wasn't one of those men who determined that it was time to throw a stone. Unfortunately, I've met people who they would probably be itching to pick up a stone in a situation like this. Well, I'm not guilty of that. I just want to go on record and say there's not a person on the face of the planet who's never been guilty of some kind of a moral sin. Jesus said, if you look in lust, you're an adulterer already in your heart. We live in a very visual day today. Many people are carrying around cell phones, and you've got to guard yourself for what you see from day to day. And the devil has bombarded us with images that really shouldn't be seen at all. But I don't believe that there's anybody who's totally morally pure in this particular day and age. Just as there wasn't people who were pure in their day. You know, this is an age-old sin. You might think that we live in a society that's so filled with sexual sin. How could we ever get away with it? It's so much different than Bible times. Have you ever read the book of Genesis where Potiphar's wife cast her eyes at Joseph? That's, a, that's as modern as yesterday's newspaper. 
When you see that this woman is taken in the act of adultery, adultery is celebrated in our generation. It's celebrated on television. It's celebrated in many, in many circles today. I'm still here to tell you, God still has standards and rules when it comes to these areas of morality. By the way, God created these issues. You know that God created the pleasure? God created things to be enjoyed within marriage. God says marriage is honorable in all. It was God who made marriage, friends. God was the inventor of it. It was God who put love in a man's heart. It was God that puts passions into our hearts. God actually makes men and women to have these kind of passions. But he certainly tells us to keep them in reserve. And they ought to be what the Bible calls privileges of marriage. And the devil has corrupted that in our day. Now his questions to the woman after all these guys were run off, they began, the Bible says, they began to leave from the eldest the Bible says from the, from the eldest, uh, even unto the last. So basically, the scene is, you know, you have them thrown down before Christ. You have Jesus riding on the ground. They continued to press him after he didn't respond to him verbally. And when Jesus stands up, he says, cast the stone at her, he that's with the, uh, without sin. And as they began to think about that, they all started to come across this issue of honesty. And the oldest one left. Maybe it was the next oldest. I don't know in what order that they left. They just, all of them left. Every one of these guys who arranged for this situation. And now you have Christ with what I would call a precious woman. She was precious to the Lord. You know, Jesus was dealing with the woman at the well in John chapter 4. She had five marriages and was now living with somebody not in the confines of marriage. We would call this fornication in the scripture. That's also celebrated today. But that woman was precious to the Lord. She was precious to him. And he asked her some questions. And the questions that Jesus asked her were not for his benefit. Sometimes the Lord asks a question in order for you to answer the question. And the question's for your benefit. Jesus lifts himself up again in verse number 10. And saw none but the woman. He said unto her, woman... Where are thine accusers? That's number one. The second question is, hath no man condemned thee? Those men weren't there to cast that final condemnation, and nobody threw that first stone at her at all. There were no accusers that remained. There was no one left who condemned her. And she responded by saying that no one was left. She said, no man, Lord, in verse number 11. Christ said something that the Pharisees could not he said this, these words in verse number 11. And I hope every Christian in this room could say the same thing. Neither do I condemn thee. Jesus did not come to condemn sinners. Jesus did not come to condemn sinners. Have you forgotten John chapter 3? A lot of people are in love with verse number 16 in John chapter 3. But I was taught to memorize verse 17 too, which says this, John 3 and 17. For God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world. Jesus didn't come here to condemn you, sir. He didn't come here to condemn you, ma'am. He didn't come here to condemn sinners. He came to seek and to save sinners. Zacchaeus was a publican. He was a really good thief. Jesus didn't come to condemn him. He came to save him. He said, Zacchaeus, come down. I'm going to your house today. And today salvation came to Zacchaeus' house. That's Luke 19 and verse number 10. He didn't come to condemn the tax collector named Zacchaeus. He didn't come to condemn the woman at the well who could keep a marriage together and just quit on marriage altogether and was not living with someone. Jesus doesn't come to condemn sinners. He comes to save sinners. He said, I didn't come to, to save you or to, to condemn you. He said, I don't condemn you. His admonition was to go and sin no more. I want to say a few things as we close this service out. Number one, sin doesn't solve any of life's problems. Sin will complicate your life. Young people, if you think you, you know, you know the truth and you're just going to go ahead and live the way that you want to. I know what the, I'm going to do things this way. I'm here to tell you that there's lessons to be learned in all manner of life. Your story may be a little bit different than mine. My story is, I was raised in a Christian home by Christian parents. I didn't have any bad examples set in front of me. There were some. 
because my parents were sinners as I am, and their parents before them. Now, I know that some of you may have come from a home where there was no sinning going on at all. You just had a righteous family all together. You know, mom and dad never got mad at each other. They never had a cross with each other. They just never argued. Everything was all peaches and cream. It was all sweetness. It was all nice. You know, I didn't even know what sin was, what, what, what difficult sins were when I got saved at the age of 12. I hadn't started seeing people of the opposite gender in a different way. At that time in my life, I just knew that I had disobeyed my parents, that I was a sinner, that I had thought things that I never should have thought. A couple years later, there were a whole lot of differences going on. The world looked totally different to me when I got a little bit older. Anybody have a similar situation? I got saved before I understood any of those things. People get saved later in life, and they've experienced all of the world, and then some, and then they get saved. So my story and how I came to the Lord, there were some times when I thought, especially as a teenager, I'm going to get away with this. I'm going to be okay. I want to tell you something, you don't really get away with anything. Sin will always catch up with you. The Bible says, be sure your sin will find you out. You need to be careful dabbling with sin. Sin doesn't help your life. Sin complicates your life. Sin will keep you longer than you want to stay, keep you longer than you want to stay, as the, as the old writer said. It'll make you pay more than you want to pay. Sin doesn't let you go. Sometimes people get entangled in the areas of sin. and They, they have a trouble breaking free because sin is a powerful thing. Sin is the enemy of human beings. And sin is your enemy as well. Sin may offer pleasure for a season, but sin, when you participate in sin, it is by and large unfulfilling. It doesn't give you what you want. Judas Iscariot found that out when he thought 30 pieces of silver was going to solve his problems, and it was going to satisfy his heart by betraying the Lord Jesus Christ, and he put pieces and no sooner did that money get in his pocket, he says, I'm unfulfilled! I've done something wrong! And he tried to get it right, but he couldn't. He ended up going out and hanging himself. Sin doesn't satisfy. David thought that his relationship with Bathsheba was going to be all that in a box of chocolates. He was missing out on something. You remember, David was married at the time. David did have wives. But he thought, hey, sin's going to satisfy. Did sin satisfy David? For a few moments of pleasure, he sold out the rest of his life. Sin always complicates your life. I don't care if you're young or old. There could be an older person in here today. David didn't commit that sin as a young person. Sometimes I preach to our young people, but sometimes older Christians are just as bad. They're going to sneak around and get away with it all. You don't get away with it because the order in every place beholding the evil and the good. Sin doesn't solve life's problems. It'll complicate your life. And the same admonition that Jesus gave to her, he would give to you today. Now, there are modern examples in the scripture, as I've already mentioned, John chapter number four, a woman who was married five times, and now she's living together outside of wedlock. These things aren't popular to preach on today because now, especially in American culture, It's almost more normal for people to live with one another before they get married. But I want to remind you of something. God is the one who designed marriage. And all moral activity should be taking place inside of that marriage. God has reserved it for that marriage. And by the way, God called it good. There's nothing bad about it. But the devil has corrupted it, and in this generation, he's stolen things from our young people, and he's stolen things from our generation. And it's pretty sad that people who are living between their 30s and 50s are so cowardly they can't say what is wrong. Jesus didn't tell her that it was okay. He just said, I didn't condemn you. Jesus didn't come to condemn you, but he does give some good advice. The advice is to go and sin no more. Jesus sent her away with a call for her to stop her sinning. And as a preacher of the gospel today, could I encourage you to do the same? Would you please? Would you please stop dabbling in sin? Sin will hurt you. Sin will hurt your family. Sin will crush your dreams. Sin will hurt. 
And by the way, if you're involved in sin or a sinful situation, even now, Jesus stands ready to forgive you if you'll call on his name. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sin. This form of command implies a ceasing to commit an action that has already been started to stop a sinful habit. Habit When Jesus, he said, go and sin no more. Jesus did several things as we recognize what he did in this passage as we close. What does it mean when a Baptist preacher says in closing? Absolutely nothing. (laughs) Jesus recognized that what the woman had done was sin, and he told her to stop it. What he was doing was calling her to repentance. Has the Lord ever called you to repentance to say, hey, would you turn from this? Before it takes a hold of on you, before your life gets so far downstream, it's going to be hard to grab you. You're going to be taken with your sin. I want to encourage you today that if you've got some sin that you're dabbling with, or maybe several sins, do what the Lord Jesus encouraged this woman to do. Stop it. Please stop sinning. He gave her hope that her life could go on in freedom from this. You know, there is freedom from any kind of sin. There are people in our generation, because of the many things they've allowed their eyes to look at, and because of the action of our hearts, to enter into same-gender relationships, which the Bible says are forbidden. That's a forbidden area. Don't make an excuse for yourself if you have a same-gender relationship. It is a sin and needs to be rejected. Just as David was on the roof of his house and saw a woman that was not his wife, should have got his self back in the house and said, I shouldn't have looked at that. It's wrong. I'm married. The same situation goes for people who are attracted to somebody of the same gender. God doesn't design this race to go that way. And he forbids it in the Bible. And don't start reading on the internet that all these people are trying to do to twist the word of God. What the Bible says is an abomination is still an abomination. And it's an abomination for mankind to lie with mankind. Read Leviticus chapter 18. God hasn't changed. Romans chapter 1. God hasn't changed. Men with men working that which is unseemly is referring to exactly what it says. And my encouragement to you today, if you're struggling with that, is go and sin no more. And by the way, if you're a Christian, stop putting your arms around it and embracing it and encouraging it. Don't encourage people to do wrong. You listening to me? Are you hearing me? Don't encourage people to do things that the Bible forbids. They're not going to be happy when they stand at the judgment seat. You need to stand with where the Bible stands. I mean, at least if the Bible says something negatively about me, okay, if the Bible says, hey, you need to stop this, I could be humble enough to say to the Lord, okay, the Bible is right, and I am wrong. But now we have a group of people today who's gone along the self-help and self-esteem movement, and they think the way to get along with it is encourage people and to participate in a that it's okay if they participate in this behavior because they can be made right with God even while they're in the midst of the relationship. No, Jesus says, go and sin no more. So if you're a man here today and you're struggling with the same gender attraction, please repent and say, go to the Lord. I I need help. You say, I don't really want to admit that. There's plenty of people who are willing to admit it now, but it's still, it's a forbidden attraction. It's spoken of very plainly in the scripture. And the same thing goes for the women. Read Romans chapter 1 where it says, even their women did change the use into that which is against nature. That's going on all around our society today. Now listen, this isn't a popular Sunday morning message. I don't know if you know that or not. This is what we call in preaching. It doesn't matter to me if I'm popular in this world or not. This doesn't matter if your worldview is different than mine. I'm preaching the Bible. Jesus said, go and sin no more. Her life would have never changed if he just patted her on the back and said, back to it. He didn't say back to it. He didn't say go indulge in your sin because everything's cool. He said, go and sin no more. And by the way, if you're somebody who says, well, I've never dealt with that, so I'm good. You've got a big problem. I'm not that bad. I've never had that kind of attraction. I've never entered into that kind of a relationship. I want to tell you something. All of us are, as, as, as people, we are sinners by birth, by choice, and by practice. And I am still thankful for, for Jesus 
who was willing to come down here and save my soul. And Jesus came to save you too. And there could be somebody here today, and you've been dealing with things, and you're struggling. You know, there are people who think if they have a same gender attraction, there's no hope for me because, hey, the world says I was born that way. All I'm here to tell you is whether you have a natural inclination or an unnatural inclination, Jesus can save your soul. And he can help you no matter where you are. Jesus saved people who were, who were involved in such behaviors in Corinth when the Bible says that, you know, be not deceived, all these people aren't going to heaven, and it says, and such were some of you. Aren't you thankful that Jesus Christ is still in the saving business? If you're not saved here today, I want to encourage you to be saved before it's eternally too late. If you don't get saved, then you're going to wind up at the wrong judgment where everyone will be cast into the lake of fire. If you are saved, you're saved for all time and eternity. And this is one of the greatest reasons to come to Christ, to get your sins forgiven. Because when the Bible says that there's coming the secrets of men's hearts are going to be judged, that's speaking of the great white throne judgment. And if you're saved, guess what? Your sins were put cross, they're not going to be brought up no more because the Bible says they're separated as far as the east is from the west and they're buried into the deepest part of the sea. Aren't you thankful that the Lord doesn't remember your sin no more once you get saved? Thank the Lord for that. There's a song that a, a songwriter wrote and he said every step he took forward, his past tries to follow, reminded me of what I've been. Mistakes and transgressions, those unlearned lessons reminded me time and again. He says, I know God can't recall what's cast in the sea. That's easy for him, but it's not so easy for me. He said, but there'll come a day when I see him in glory, and I'll only recall Calvary's side of my story, where my sins are forgiven, my salvation was bought. Oh, what a moment when I can't remember everything he forgot. And there's some people in this room today, and maybe you haven't forgiven yourself for some past transgression or for some past sin, and the Lord's calling you to get that right. If he doesn't remember it no more, you need to forget it yourself. You say, but my ex won't let me forget it. <laughs> you need to keep your eyes on Christ and not your ex. You need to get your mind off of people that are going to come back and accuse you like these Pharisees and scribes. They're ever going to be with us. But when you keep your eyes on Christ, he's close to you. When he looks at you and he says, where are your accusers? And when you know your sins are put under that blood, you say, there's nobody who's accusing me anymore. My sins have been paid for by Jesus Christ for all time and eternity. Let's stand together. Our heads bowed, our eyes are closed. You say, Pastor, I've... I'm not saved. I, I don't know the Lord as my Savior. If you ask me to say that I'm lost, I just want to say to you today, friend, Jesus came to save you, and He's willing to save you. If you're in the church house today and you don't know Christ as your Savior, and you want to come, and get saved, you can. It's a simple act of faith. There may be somebody here today and you're, you're hiding hidden conviction. God's convicting your heart. He's showing you that you need to get saved. Please don't turn from that. Won't you come? Break out of that aisle. Do what many had done before. They've come for salvation. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, Brother John's going to sing this song about coming home sings, won't you come? With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, let's have this first verse. Some need to come, because God's trying to speak to you. Say, the Lord stirred a chord in my heart today. He's working in my life. Stop hiding that sin. Bring it to the Lord. Stop flaunting your rebellion and come to the Lord. Submitting to the Lord is the best thing you could ever do.
all sing on that second verse. something wrong is there anybody here today that would say pastor would you pray for me I'm not saved I don't know the Lord but I just I want you to pray for me I promise you I will not come to you there's nobody super spiritual in this room that I'm asking to look around everybody's heads are bowed and eyes are closed this is just you the Lord and me pastor will you pray for me I'm not sure that I'm saved anybody I'm looking around anyone just lift your hand and put it back down not saved, Pastor. Is there anybody here today who say, Pastor, I'm struggling with some sin, struggling with something. Would you pray for me? Just by the lifted hand, I see those hands, hands all over the building, really. You guys are going to be in my prayers. I'm here to tell you that there's a God in heaven who can help you. The Lord can help you today. Brother John, would you sing this next verse? Heads bowed, eyes are closed. If God's working in your heart, won't you come? He wants to hear from you.
that sin. He got tired of the pig pen, and he said, hey, I'm, I'm getting up. I'm going to come home. He was going to make this confession to his father, didn't get it out, and his father said, get the robe, get the ring, get the fatted calf, let's have a party, because my son, which was lost, he's been found. All I want to say to you today, friend, is if you determine to go in a sinful path, all it's going to do is further complicate life. I fear that some people, they're not going to get right with God until something really major happens in their life, until their life is just shattered. You don't have to wait till you only have pieces left to bring them back to the Lord. You can get right with God now. If God's working in your life about some sin, or if he's working in your life about, some, about salvation, respond to the Lord when he's working in your life. Don't put it off. May God have his way in your heart and your life. We thank you for coming today. And all the saints of God said, thank you for being in the house of the Lord today. Thank you for all the great participation. And, you know, really, as I look out about our, our, our congregation today, um, we've got a pretty good crowd. If everybody brings somebody with them next week, we won't have enough seats in this room. To, uh, so make it a point of yours to bring a friend with you next week to hear the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Tonight we're going to be back in the house of the Lord. If you have the opportunity to be back with us at 6 o'clock tonight, we'll have a service and a similar service. We sing a few songs. We do a little bit of preaching. We fellowship. It's good to be around the house of the Lord. If you can come back, please do. It's, a, it's an important thing. You know, to, to, to many, they live such a, a, a busy work week. And we, we're a lot, we give the Lord an hour or two on a Sunday morning, and sometimes that's not enough time for the Lord to do a work in your life and in your heart. And so we want to encourage you to do everything you can to be back in the house of the Lord tonight at 6 p.m. All right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to call the nearest man to come. Brother Daniel Flores, if you'd come and dismiss us here from the pulpit. May God have his way in your heart. Thank you. Great message. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we come before your throne of grace, Lord, uh, we're reminded that you're a good God. Uh, Lord, you came here for, to save sinners. And Lord, we're also reminded that there are no great men in this earth, just men in need of a Savior. So I pray that you help each and every one of us as we leave today, Lord God, to to remember that there is a God in heaven that gave his son for the sins of men. And he calls all men everywhere to repent and to believe in Jesus Christ. We thank you for our pastor. We pray that you help him, Lord, and just help us all to bring you honor and glory. In the name of Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen.